In this podcast, brought to you by Muslim Girls Fence, a collaboration between British fencing and Maslaha, we hear from four athletes, black women and women of colour who have competed in fencing from national to international level. We hear about what inspired these women to pick up a sword and what motivated them and propelled them to success. We will hear stories about family support, about victories and defeat, about the bonds formed with fellow competitors and gain an insight into the positive impact fencing has had on these women's lives. But the athletes also talk openly about the barriers that they faced and had to overcome on their journeys. They talk about the challenges of being both women and women of colour in environments where they were not truly welcomed, supported or respected as equals and the resulting impact this has had on them. To break down these barriers, not just in sport but in wider society, we need to listen to those willing to talk openly about their experiences, however uncomfortable this might make us feel. We must take positive action to prevent others having similar experiences inside and outside of sport. We must also recognise and overcome biases in our own thoughts and behaviours in order for us to create positive, sustainable change in attitudes and environments. For those of us in positions of authority, we have the power and responsibility to make systematic change. This isn't just about sports coaches, club leaders or CEOs of national governing bodies of sport like myself. It is a wider ask across the whole system that affects the lives and opportunities of young black women and women of colour. In the future, we want many more black women and women of colour to achieve success in sport and be able to share and celebrate this success together. Importantly, we want their success to be supported by the system, not be in spite of the system. We start by listening. Hi guys, thank you guys so much for being here today. So just to start off, if you could each go around and introduce yourselves a little bit. My name's Alia. I have been fencing Sabre since I was um, nine, so very long time now. Fencing has been a huge part of my life and I've been on the GB team since I was about 15, so almost 10 years now. And it's been amazing um, and I'm really excited to be able to share some of those experiences with you today. Hi everyone, my name's Aisha Fahosi. Um, I've been fencing for about, oh God, I don't know, about 13, 14 years, maybe more. Um, I fence foil. Um, I've been to a few world and few European championships representing GB and also Commonwealths as well. As well as fencing, I um, work as well full time. So I try to balance both of them out, but that's me. Um, so my name's Mercedes. I've been fencing for around six years. I used to be a heptathlete, um, but then kind of transitioned to fencing in my middle, like, teens. Now I'm a fencing coach. I'm kind of more leaning towards fencing coaching as opposed to competing. And I fence and coach Epe, but I also do a bit of sabre and a foil as well. I'm Leah King. I'm 25 years of age. I started fencing when I was 11. I fenced foil and absolutely fell in love. I tried all um, weapons and foil just caught me. I was in the GB team when I was 12 and I have been fencing for about 10 years. So I stopped when I was 21. Unfortunately, I became sick with a brain tumour and became deaf and partially sighted. I still 
keep in contact with fencing and I still hear about it but yeah I've stopped now I now work I'm a forex trader and I have a family of my own so my first question for you guys is what inspired you to become a fencer when I was 11 I qualified for the England netball team and we was doing the training and um with my team that I had everything was going great but I felt like when we did lose I was the only one upset um everyone was kind of like yeah you know great that team it's okay and I, I was really upset so then my mom's school friend got me into fencing and I didn't have a clue what it was he's like yeah you know like Zora I was like okay <laughs> <laughs> and um then we came to this fencing club but I didn't realize it was only for adults they actually thought that I was an adult when um yeah when I was 11 and they were like yeah like you're really great um you should go into our opens didn't know what they, that was they were talking about and I said to them you know like uh, I'm 11 then all of a sudden um, they were like yeah you know this thing called Leon Paul I mean my first competition I lost to Aisha but I came third so I was like I'm actually let me let me try again and then let me try again <laughs> every single time after that <laughs> <laughs> and um yeah I kind of just stayed and I was like yeah bye Neville done um with my one it was a bit more simpler like I my dad fenced and I just wanted to do something that my dad enjoyed as well he took me along to his fencing club and I just fell in love with it straight away it was just so different to athletics that everyone did or whatever the sport was so yeah I just went along with fencing and I loved it yeah I kind of have a similar story to Aisha as well um saying my dad used to fence um he kind of like took sports super seriously when he was younger and was out on the GB team for athletics. And then kind of similar to me, tried to transition to fencing, but kind of in the eighties, um, like people just didn't want to fence black fences essentially. And he just found that no one was kind of picking up on his talent. So he kind of gave up on the sport. And I grew up like knowing about fencing, um, but I was doing loads of other sports when I was younger. And then eventually like when I was in my teens, I started fencing. So for me, uh, it was it was a little bit in my family actually, like Aisha, because my um, my dad's side of the family is Polish originally, and it's quite a big sport in Poland, um, as you might know. And so my my dad didn't fence, but his dad did. So I had kind of like heard about it. So that was sort of how I knew that fencing existed, because that's always like the first step. It's like, oh, never heard of that. So I had heard of it. Um, and then I was actually really lucky that they had it at my brother's school. So I w went to a girl's school in London and the, the boys' school had a fencing club. And I managed to get myself in there and going to the club that was in that, um, that space. So that was quite lucky. That's fantastic. Lots of, lots of uh, family lineage going on here, the fencing. My next question for you guys is, what was the highlight of your fencing career? Okay, there's one particular um, time for me. I think it was it was my last year of juniors, and I to be I, I was getting towards the end of not wanting to fence anymore because I my love for the sport was slowly dying out because it felt so just too much, um, and it it was just me and my coach at the time, um, Tomek, and I felt a real connection and a strong connection with him whilst we were there. And I ended up winning the bronze medal at the World Cup. And at that moment, it wasn't just the win that brought back my love, but it was the feeling you get with it. And just that, honestly, the adrenaline that comes with it. And it was just amazing. So that was probably 
um, a time that really stood out for me. Mine is somewhat similar. Well, I, I guess I kind of had two sort of medal memories, but I think the one that was most special was that my club in London, which you might be familiar with, Camden, we used to host a cadet World Cup. My last year of being a cadet, I came second at that, which was really special because it was at home and you know my family was there some of my friends came to watch and it was really cool to be able to um be on the podium like at home in the same hall where i trained and stuff so i think one of the highlights of my fencing career was when um so it was um this program um throughout the olympics called the ambition program it was for um younger athletes to get inspiration and um it's very much a team vibe but through all um sports now for me the reason why that was a highlight of my fencing career not only did i get chosen and selected for it with olia we had some great memories there but it was because um <laughs> we ended up on BBC News. Now, with that, it was something that my great-grandma saw me in. When I first started fencing, she was like, oh, you know, I'll be pounding you. So we're Jamaican, so there was a lot of pattern that, but she wanted to see me on the news. And um, she actually got to see me on the news. And she was so happy, she was crying. Like, I thought that I made her proud before she passed, because that's the only thing that she wanted to do and see me do. Um, I felt like I really achieved, and. You know, when I did stop fencing, I didn't think that I left anything behind because I'd done everything that I needed to do. I just needed to make sure that I was happy. I guess for me, my memories of fencing are kind of different in terms of being a coach. Just in general, like, I've gone into, like, a lot of new spaces with kids that haven't, like, never touched a sword, like, never even, like, thought about fencing as a possibility. Quite recently, um, I don't know if you know Curtis Miller, but we both went to coach at this event at the Copper Box. And... Um, I just started kind of like working with Camden Fencing Club then um, so I hadn't worked with that many kids before but I'd worked with like older um, older fencers um, and it was just really cool because there were so many like kids of colour and kids from like state schools and stuff that we were giving taster sessions to and like seeing how how accessible fencing should be and how easy it is to pick up and how much like kids enjoy it was just like like made me feel so good because it reminded me why I like being a coach and like the good things about kind of being a community coach as well. So my next question for you all is what was the biggest hurdle you've had to overcome? My one was um, last year at the British Championships I was going into my DE fight um, and I'd, I'd actually had quite a strong morning so I was quite confident about the day um, and then I got a call from my dad to tell me that my grandma was about to pass away. So I had to leave the competition and rush to the hospital. And that was, I unfortunately didn't make it, but following that event, I think I took a bit of a step back from fencing. So that was probably the biggest hurdle that I've had. Um, losing somebody so close to me um, was very hard. But then, like Leah has touched on earlier, all your parents and your grandparents want to see is you be the best person you can be. So it was, it's been more of a drive now for me to just try and achieve as much as I can. But yeah, that was probably the, the big the hardest hurdle I've had to jump over. I think um, one of, um, I would say a big hurdle for me was pretty much when I first started, because I realized that when you go into a sport, 
it's kind of like you're you're willing to make friends i mean it gets a bit awkward at the beginning kind of like hey like are you fed to next and things like that the com the conversations alone um trying to make friends in the sport um is hard um but when you realize that no one looks like you and no one speaks like you and you you realize it's kind of like you walk in and you realize you don't fit that was a hurdle to be like okay well do i continue how much do you actually love this sport is it just the results that you have why you, you stay there or is it a passion that you actually have and you know you say to yourself okay well i really do love this sport so whether they like me or not here i am do you know what i mean and i think me accepting that um because at the time i did have those thoughts in my head and me and my parents had a discussion i don't think that it was easy for me to to fit because I didn't feel like people understood me. Now that I'm older, I don't know if I gave people a chance to understand me. I think the barrier was up straight away. However, you know, they made it clear that I didn't speak proper English and things like that. And it was just kind of like, people kept correcting me and I can hear it. So it was just kind of like, okay, well, forget you. I'll just do my own thing over here. But it was, um, it was really like not a mix and blend kind of follow through. I felt like I couldn't apologize that I got the results that I did and now that i'm older you know was it really because they didn't like me or was it because i just made the results i just kind of turned up i didn't understand i didn't know what pools are i didn't know how to do the maths to know who i'm fencing in round whatever do you know what i mean like i just Seven. did not understand <laughs> i just didn't get it i was just like right fence the person you're in front of and boom that was it like do you know what i mean yeah i think that was a hurdle where like i, I made sure that i was here to stay and I kind of changed my mindset where it was kind of like, okay, well, the more I feel uncomfortable, the more I have to stay. Um, the more people treat me, the more I have to teach them, not cuss them, not leave them in their ignorance. I have to teach them and show them who I am. Unfortunately, when I raise my voice, it, it comes, it, people say that it comes across aggressive, but if they really want me to talk, then I can. And that was the issue. I had to learn how to find a way to make them understand who I am. It's not what they read in books or what they see on the news or, you know, what people from block estates are from, because that's where I'm from. And I'm, I'm not apologizing for it. I'm not apologizing for the area or who I am, you know? So that was one of the toughest hurdles and unfortunately had it so young, but my parents stopped me from being angry because they already, they already knew what time it was. Do you know what I mean? We all walked in at the same time and they were like, whoa okay Leah so this is what's gonna happen you might get this you might get that and it's quite sad to, to have that conversation so young but it has to happen you know but no that was one of the big hurdles that I had and to be honest Asha if it wasn't for you and, and Nick and um do you remember Olivia Debo there was a another black girl who's slightly older than us if I didn't see them then it would definitely be more of a struggle. And even Ali, I was like, oh my gosh, like, yeah. and Ali and your mom, and I was like, oh my gosh, she's so tall like me. Oh, everyone's just short. And I was just thinking, oh my gosh, like, do you know what I mean? So it was definitely a vibe. And um, if it wasn't for you guys, for sure, I, I don't know. I'd mostly go back to netball <laughs> and figure out something. No, I because I used to look forward to the competitions that I knew you guys would be at. Yeah, so when you'd just be me, I'd be like, "Oh God, do I have to go?" <laughs> I'm sure I used to call you and be like, "Oh, so, so you going to Sheffield? Yeah, are you going to Cambridge? Yeah, are you, are you going? Right, I'm going. So, what hotel are you staying at? Literally, I think it's like it's one of those things when when you start to travel the domestic circuit, like in the UK, you start you you realise that 
how much of a bubble London is and how yeah. much we're used to being surrounded by diversity. And then you go to some of these cities where we have these opens and you suddenly feel aware of your race in a way that you don't at all in your day-to-day -day life. And like, I, I really appreciate like being a part of this call, but I, I feel like it's important for me to like first say that I'm not black and that I have not had to face a lot of the racism that like these ladies have. I think something that we that I can relate to though is is just sort of feeling like an outsider in the sport um, because I think you know no matter if you're if you're anything else if you're BAME um, like it's not um, it's not common to see people like us in the sport um, but I will say that I'm I'm humbled in the presence of these ladies because the stuff that they've had to deal with that I've seen is way worse than what I had to deal with but I think it's it's interesting like I was very fortunate to have Camden Fencing Club because I think that we all had each other and like I had these these ladies as friends as well which was amazing I think having like the the people that I grew up with at Camden like Curtis who's already been mentioned and other fencers like Soji, like because we were kind of growing up in the sport together and we went to the competitions together, we kind of like had each other as a community, which was really nice. Um, so I would say um, friends are really important. And also somewhat interestingly, like Leah, I remember having a conversation with my mum once when I was really young in like a Leon Paul Jr. series. And she said like, you know, you've got to be twice as good if you want to win because they're all talking that saying that you're you know the one that they don't want to win because you're not the hometown girl and she was like you're never going to be the hometown girl because you have a funny name and you don't look english and you're going to have to win by a clear margin if you want to win because you know if it's 14 all and there's two lights you've got to make it really yeah. clear and that's yeah. with life as well like we do sometimes have to work twice as hard if not we do hard. 100% right. I mean, like, if it's 14 or everyone, you you know, you can just, people don't have to say it, you can kind of feel it. And sometimes it's like, oh, you know, maybe it was just me. No, it's true. Everyone wants the other person to win, you know, and that is just an added pressure, but it's how you deal with it. It's how you deal with it and transfer the energy into knowing that you can fence and you are a good fencer and knowing what you do have. Listen, you've trained too hard to not get this you know what I mean? you know what you're doing and that's how you're supposed to transfer it it's not like oh my gosh well that's it let's throw in the towel you know <laughs> like no yeah, yeah it's true 100% right Olya. it's kind of similar to what you've all been saying in terms of like being one of the few like female females of color within a fencing club um like throughout my short fencing career like I did struggle paying for competitions like kind of understanding the circuit um understanding what competitions I needed to go to to get to like the national team and stuff so I kind of got quite lost within that um like I've just kind of started university this year and I've kind of taken a step back from competing because I'm in that stage where I'm not too sure like what I want out of fencing but for me, like my sort of saving grace is being able to coach and still being able to be in the sport, still being able to like fence people kind of informally and stuff um, and having like opportunities to like meet new fences and listen to their kind of struggles and stories, which is like super inspiring. And just listening to all of you guys speak about like your own past within fencing is really inspiring.
how have you dealt with obstacles based on your gender and gender and or race in fencing? I think what also helped me as well, like when I'd go away to competitions and um, I was exposed to a lot more racism um, of different kinds as well. They were very creative with it. Um, but what I experienced, um, what helped me was coming back home and speaking to my parents. Um, although they weren't there, speaking to somebody who obviously loves you so, so much and cares about you really helps and really like, it just gives you the love and re like reassurance that you need, that you're not an aggressive person, even though people will attach that stereotype to a black woman, that you're not, you know, anything other than a good fencer. So definitely speak to your parents as much as you possibly can, I would recommend. I definitely have to second that, Aisha. Um, I felt like uh, that paintbrush was definitely yep. all over um, us two as well. Um, and I'm not, I'm not, you know, small. Um, I'm a whole five ten. <laughs> so, and I was the only girl at the uh, at my fencing club. So I, you know, I was ready to. It's a contact sport. I just, I, it was just a lot. Um, and fencing women, I felt like people was ready to 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 draw that card about oh, you know, how aggressive you are, and um, and I felt like I fought with that myself quite a bit because I wanted to look you know a, a bit more precise and everything and I talking to my family about it definitely held me down for sure um because that's home that's your base that's who who know you and will tell you the honest truth as well I guess like one thing we didn't speak about yet is like gender so I think um I think that's important because I think I, I do think things are changing, which I think is great. But I think when you just look at everyday life and the way men's sports have such a massive role in society versus women's sports, like the fact that we even call it the Women's World Cup because the World Cup is, is default assumed to be the Men's World Cup. You just think about that and the fact that, you know, you'll see a lot of times at competitions, like, the men's trophy will be way bigger than the women's one, like for nationals or, you know, you'll win a women's open and you'll get like a little tiny little cup and the men, the man will have this massive sword on a framed thing. And you're sort of thinking, Hey, wait a minute. It's a bit weird. Like I I'm doing my masters right now at Oxford and I fenced in their varsity match and the, this, the men who won the seconds had this massive trophy and the women who won the first got this like, tiny little shield thing so I think it's 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 something that I hope it can change but I think you know I'd really like to start seeing more equality in terms of um, support especially that's provided from from the federation um, that's another conversation but um, I was a bit frustrated with that throughout my career because at one point there were about six guys getting funding and I was ranked first and I in the country and I wasn't getting anything and and that kind of thing I think is unacceptable. Okay so the last thing I have for you is there one thing you wish you could have you wish you could tell your younger self when you started fencing? I think I like went into the sport quite naively um, not that I regret fencing but I think I wish I was like better prepared for it in terms of like emotionally dealing with the lack of diversity in terms of like 
other people of colour, but also in terms of like there being women present. I think I would tell myself to stop listening to the background noise because all those comments and like assumptions made of you are just not important. And now that I'm 24 years old, what an old white coach from Italy thought of me at the age of 14 doesn't even matter. So I just stopped listening to the background noise, yeah. I think I'd try to be a little bit more conscious about, you know, you know, sometimes when you finish a competition, you think about what happened. But I think I was so focused on fencing that sometimes I didn't think about what I learned in, in, a, in a deeper way. And I think um, something I would, I would encourage younger fencers to do is to think about what your experiences in fencing are teaching you about life and how you can apply those things, whatever you go on to do, you know, if it's in school, if it's in work, socially, like you're going to, you're going to carry forward so many of those lessons. And, you know, it, sometimes in fencing, you think about all these technical things like, oh, I lost because my parry was like a little bit off. But in reality, it's usually things like, oh, I lost because I lost focus or I lost confidence. And those things are so much more important in the long run. So I would try and focus on some of those key lessons. I would say enjoy the journey. Don't just focus on results because it was kind of like, okay, you've done one competition. Let's go back and train for the next one. We've got two weeks or we've got one week or, do you know what I mean? There was always this plan with me when I was in school. It was go to school stay in the library till six do all your work make sure you've done the work for next week to go to training go home go to bed that was it and I used to train like four hours a day and it wasn't it, it when I think about it it wasn't okay even though I enjoyed little bits of it but I didn't enjoy the journey I wasn't embracing it I was thinking about the competition on the weekend I was just getting through the week I would say enjoy the journey and I could have taught a bit more rather than just let just ignore the the judgment I felt like you know I could impact more if I did say things when it comes to you know racial incidents I was so angry I had to walk away instead of taking a breather and explaining you know some people you can't budge and unfortunately that's just the way it is because of how they've been brought up and their environment that's not your fault but you can at least try to teach and try to show who you are a bit better so yeah definitely the journey and um trying to embrace the moment the muslim girls fence team at both maslaha and british fencing would like to thank alia itzkowitz aisha fihosi mercedes halliday baptiste and leah king for being so open and sharing their experiences with us they were interviewed by yvonne chart we know too well how assumptions and perceptions of who we are, whether in sport or in any other area, often doesn't come from us, but is imposed onto us. Whether like in this conversation, if it's support from our fathers or being afforded the room to make mistakes and be ourselves, why will we never be the hometown girl? Why do we always have to work twice as hard? And why do we just feel safer in our own bubbles? Because the way societal structures function mean that there is only one or two of us in spaces like the ones the fences described. People who are racialized, working class and communities of faith are not hard to reach, but it's the environments that are hostile. If the dominant identity in that environment, consciously or unconsciously, treat people that way, it's because culturally 
whether at home or in schools and public spaces, it's acceptable to do so. Systemically, that's what we see in sport, education, healthcare, housing, employment, and all areas of society, then this will continue, no matter how many Muslim women or women of color win medals. Dealing with all of this is an immense emotional strain and the impacts of racism on mental health and well-being is an ongoing but often overlooked struggle. This is what current and future MGF projects will be focusing on, as well as what Alia, Aisha, Mercedes and Leah discussed. Building networks, creating safe spaces and enjoying the journey. Please see the description to find out how to get in touch with us, follow us on socials and to find out more.